Ask the Dean, episode four. What's going on? My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I'm excited to bring another Ask the Dean to you today here in podcast form. Now, if you don't know, Ask the Dean is a show that MAPT produces for those who have pre-ordered at this point as we're recording this episode, who have pre-ordered MAPT, which is a new technology platform that we have developed to help pre-meds, and in the future, all pre-health, but right now to help pre-meds through their journey to medical school. Now, I'm excited to bring MAP to you actually live. We're launching this next week as you're listening to this on August 24th. So if you want to check out MAP, go to mapped.com. Check it out right now. If you're listening to this when this episode first comes out, you can go get it at pre-order special. But if it is out, that is okay. You can go pick it up. Again, mapped.com. This software will help track your courses, track your activities, and in the future, as we build out more and more features, help you interact with your advisor, and so much more. Not just tracking and 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 writing everything down like a spreadsheet, but actually getting feedback on what you are putting in. That's the goal of what we are building at MAPS. So go check it out. Ask the Dean is with myself, again, Dr. Ryan Gray. We have Dr. Scott Wright, former TMDSAS executive director, again, the, the person in charge of the whole Texas application system. He was also the former director of admissions at UT Southwestern Medical School. And we have Rachel Grubbs with us, who's been in the pre-med space for about 20 years, mostly in the test prep world, working for some of those big name MCAT test prep companies that you know and have used. So I'm excited to bring another great episode to you today, talking about age discrimination, work-life balance and burnout, and potentially some changes coming in store from that. And talking about research in MD-PhD applications, those are just the first few questions among many here on Ask the Dean. Again, go check out mapped.com, and you can watch these videos as well at mapped.tv as our YouTube channel. Hello, 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 Mapped Facebook group. Here for another Ask the Dean with our former Dean of Coolness and Director of Admissions, Dr. Scott Wright. And our amazing Rachel Grubbs. Well, How are you all today? Doing well. Doing Me too. Amazing. How's, how's everything in Boulder, Colorado? Oh, everything's bolder and bolder. We are hanging out doing well. So I'm just excited for the new artwork that you can see if you're watching this on uh, Facebook Live or on YouTube later. We have uh, some fun sound panels with a little bit of artwork on there. Work hard, be creative, do good. Scott, you want to talk about those real quick? It's not something we've really talked a ton about, our, our values here at MAPT that we think yeah. are important for us and for students. Absolutely. I think that what we try to do is mirror uh, student values. Uh, that's you, you know, your students, you guys are working really hard make your dreams come true. And uh, you guys are uh, working hard in classes, particularly now in the, in the COVID uh, virtual environment where you're having to do uh, things that you've never done before. Um, that's, you know, uh, really uh, a challenge as well as finding, uh, finding volunteer opportunities and the things that you do on a daily basis to try to make, make all this happen for yourself. So you're working hard, and we want to mirror that in, in, in terms of what we do uh, 
uh, with with mapped and and uh, so we we're working hard to make your hard work pay off uh, creativity is key you guys as as a rule uh, you guys are super creative uh, you put together study groups you put to, you know you do tutoring you you put together clubs and organizations and you find uh, you find lots of uh, opportunities to impact the community and you're real creative in that in in, in what you do uh, within the context of your hard work. And so obviously at MAPT, we are trying to be very creative in terms of the platform we're creating to, uh, to really make, uh, make all this happen for you and, uh, and put, putting your creativity and hard work together with ours. I think it'll be great. And, and obviously the, the, uh, the great end of all of this is doing good in the world, is uh, doing good in our communities, and doing good in the in the world around us, whether that means impacting uh, other students through helping them in study groups or tutoring, whether that means obviously as a as a physician, uh, you are going to be doing good in your community through helping patients, but not only individuals, individual patients, but also those who in in a, in a community atmosphere. We're seeing a great deal of interest uh, in the current uh, environment with the pandemic on public health and what community health is all about. And, and, uh, and you guys are, are, are going to impact that in, in important ways. So it's on an individual basis, you're doing good. And on a, on a community wide basis, you're going to be doing good. And so I think our values are to do good by you as well, both through content that we provide, uh, as well as through mapped as a platform that, uh, is going to you know, help you track your way through this, uh, uh, this uh, process. So yeah, so it's really, I think it's really cool. Yeah. I like them. Rachel, anything to add to those? Um, I think what's uh, to me is kind of interesting is when we first started talking about be creative, sometimes I get a little stuck and be creative thinking it means something artistic. And I love the way Scott explained it, that it's, it's more about being resourceful. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah. as, as, as you guys, as you pre-med students who are listening and watching are thinking about our three values, work hard, be creative, do good. Like Scott said, those are values that we think we have and that we think you have. And that's sort of why it's, it's the match. Um, but, but creative in the sense of always looking for solutions as opposed to the kind of sometimes narrower definition of paintbrush to canvas, which <laughs> is certainly a form of being creative, but... Yes. It's, it's, it's only one form of many, many options of that definition. Yeah, that's definitely not the creative that I am good at. I am much more the, like, there's a problem here and there's got to be a better way to solve it. And so yeah. that's literally where Mapped came from. Yeah, um, exactly. Um, and I'm excited. We get we get to hopefully play with Mapped this week, a kind of a shell function yeah. of, a, of an application. So we're Time excited. to get our hands dirty. I love it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, as we kind of get started here, taking questions from the group, I know there's one from last week. Last week, we were uh, apparently really efficient. We got to all but just one or two questions. And one of the questions we didn't get to last week has been asked again. So that might be a great place to start. And then, as always, guys, I'll probably hop off camera just so you can look at more of the beautiful face of Doctors Gray and Doctor Wright, <laughs> but I'll be around. I wouldn't push that too far. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So 
How much of an impact does race play in admissions for medical school? As a current Asian American, sometimes it can get overwhelming when looking at the stats for overall Asians compared to other races and how much higher it is. This is always an, uh, a fun, interesting one. We, t- we talked about age, I think, either last week or the week before, where you're like, yeah, age is it's kind of illegal to ask that. It's, it's actually yeah. interesting. Bef- before we kind of jump into that question that just popped up, I had a student reach out to me. I was talking to them, uh, and, and they were talking about uh, applying to medical school. They're a non-traditional student. They're at a post-bac program that's somewhat affiliated with the medical school and, and the the admissions person or the the advisor at the postback program was like oh you are uh you can now apply to this school they got rid of their age cutoff and i'm like um wait a minute, wait wait a minute Whoa. that's that's not allowed so <laughs> either either there's some shady stuff going on at the school, or the advisor's just completely misinformed. I'm yeah. hoping it's the latter. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to assume it's the latter, but uh, yeah, I, now, I, may, I may have to do some research. And let, and let me let me just uh, when we're talking about this age thing, there's something very interesting, and I don't I don't want us to lose the question about race. So yep, we'll get to it. Be sure and get back to it. Yep. back to that. But uh, interesting about federal law with regard to race and uh, admissions and race and uh, I mean uh, age, age. And, and admissions and, and age related to uh, it, federal law protects it, the protections for age are all on the upper end. It is legal to uh, to discriminate against students on the lower end. Yeah. In other words, uh we uh, at times will have students who have fast tracked their way through high school and, and through college and are apply, applying to medical school. Uh, we had one year an, a 16 year old. Oh, yeah. Doogie Hauser, <laughs> who was applying to medical school and we denied uh, him um, an interview and admission, obviously based on the fact that he was too young to even participate in the anatomy lab. He was too young to uh, participate in clinical, uh, in the clinical environment. Uh, there was a lot of issues related to that. And all of the legal counsels uh, that we, uh, that we sought advice from were, were that the federal anti-discrimination laws were, with regard to age or uh, age or all about the upper end yep. that the lower end uh, we uh, there, there are some limits to what students, uh, what uh, schools can do. Yeah. Uh, on uh, on age but with regard to race i mean this is a great uh, you know obviously last week when we talked a little bit about uh race uh it, it depends on the state it depends on the school uh it depends on whether or not it's a private school or a public school in terms of how they're going to deal with race uh, in their admissions process um what is clear is that um most schools want a diverse class. Well, I would say all schools, uh, all medical schools want a diverse uh, medical school class. There's tons of research uh, that shows that that advantages uh, individuals within the class as well as the class as a whole. It obviously ad- advantages the, the clinical environment to have a, a diversity of people in the, in the class that are serving patients in the hospitals where they participate, uh, et cetera. So I think race is, a, is an important quality in terms of that diversity factor. And diversity reaches a lot of different things, not just race, but age and uh, life experience and socioeconomic status and 
and a variety of other things that really go into this idea of diversity, uh, race being one of them. There are schools uh, in states where that has been eliminated or, or are severely limited mm -hmm. in terms of what public institutions can do with regard to considering race. Some schools cannot use it at all and, and essentially have a race blind process. Uh, other schools uh, have uh, a much different uh, sort of view of that and have abilities, particularly private schools, where they can do, do things. And accredit the accreditation uh, of schools is really both from a higher education regional status of accreditation, but also the, the, the American uh, medical school accrediting bodies, the LCME and others, uh, are really interested in this idea of diversity and, and making sure that the classes represent everyone within a within the the community of the uh, of those uh, seeking to enter. Uh, so, you know, so to address the issue of this particular student, yes, um, Asian Americans are not underrepresented, considered underrepresented minorities in. Uh, with regard to admission to medical school. Uh, medical schools um, really are, are looking for a, a variety of people. And, but I, what I would encourage this particular student to do is to not concentrate too much on comparing themselves within statistics of race to say, well, my race, it looks like the standards are higher because of X, Y, and Z, or whatever, uh, that's a dead end in terms of uh, in terms of how I feel about what a student needs to do uh, as a as a uh, as an applicant to medical school. You have to make yourself the best applicant you can be, whether you're Asian American or white, or you're African American or, or Hispanic, or what you know, wherever you're coming from in terms of race or ethnicity. Um, you want to make yourself the best candidate that you can be uh, with regard to everything that you're bringing to the table. And uh, don't get too concentrated on looking at, well, this statistic says this or that statistic says that about my particular group. Uh, you have to just kind of open it up and say, I'm going to do the best I can and be the best candidate that I can and then let the chips kind of fall where they're going to fall. Uh, they're not the medical schools are not looking at you as an as an Asian American and comparing you to other Asian Americans and saying where 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 does this student stand? It's not how it works. Yeah. They're looking at you as an individual. What is this person bringing to the table in terms of their application? And there is some level of comparison with the general pool of applicants to say, why would we choose this person over these other ten or these other twenty or whatever? But they're looking at you as an individual to say, do, does this person fit our mission? Does this person uh, seem to fit what we want to see in our medical school uh, as uh, individuals to add to uh, what we have? And so I think it's important to, uh, to consider uh, or, or to not really look too deeply into those types of statistics to say, well, and I don't even know, you know, I've never seen a school that publishes statistics based on race. In other words, uh, well, if you're Asian American, here was your average MCAT score or average GPA. I mean, typically they just say the average for the class is this, or the average GPA is that. Um, now, maybe there are sources, maybe there are schools that publish that kind of thing, 
based on race and ethnicity, but that would really surprise me and, and it'd be kind of odd in my, my the double AMC provides that for the, for the aggregate the entire, of all, applicants. yeah, right. for the aggregate, not, right. not school specific. Right. I, I think one of the the things that you pointed out that I that I try to hammer home all the time for students is that when you look at the double AMC data or individual school data, they are not telling you your chances. Right. They are telling you historically, this is what has happened. And what you cannot do from that data is then go, okay, I know that as a, an Asian American, my chances of getting in are 64%. Right. Based on historical data. You you can't do that right. because you don't know the stories behind all of those numbers. You don't right. know the the, right. the the Asian Americans who didn't get in what their applications look like. Did they not yeah. get in because they're Asian American or did they not get in because they had a 490 on their MCAT? You, you don't <laughs> right. know. Right. And and so looking at that information is it's just it's fun and it's interesting, but it's not useful. Right? I don't think it's useful at all to look at that historical data yeah. and, and go, yeah. oh, right. Well, um yeah. so anyway, that's Agreed. that's kind of my thoughts. Yeah. Agreed. Let's let's switch it a little bit and go because this comes up all the time. The the answer, the question uh, for affirmative affirmative action, right? The the Supreme Court has continued to uphold that affirmative action is okay, mm-hmm. uh, and so it's up to each state to determine whether or not they want to use it. Up to each school, etc. Let's say that the the. The the question always comes, why don't schools just pick the best applicants, right? If if the top 1,000 students are all Asian Americans, are all white, why, why bother accepting an African American student with lower stats? So this is a, a very good question. And what it, what it um, I think what it boils down to is how do you define best? And how do you define qualified? And if we are going to say, well, to be qualified, you have to have X GPA and X, uh, X uh, MCAT score, then let's just let a computer do it all and we can go, all go home and put sleep our feet well up and night. sit my sit by yeah. martinis. Yeah. I mean, we can, we can just, you know, trash the whole rest of the process. We yep. don't have to, we, you know, we can write an algorithm to do that. But that's not what it's all about. Uh, it's not about, um, finding the most qualified student simply in terms of the metrics. Yep. It's really about finding the, the, the best student in terms of overall picture. And it also goes back to what I just mentioned about having a variety of people in the class benefits everyone in the class. And, uh, and that is important. And that has been held so often by, by educational uh, studies that really look into what is the value of, uh, of a diversity of a diverse class? And I'm not talking about simply race and ethnicity. I'm talking about just the, the you know, a, a, a great uh, uh, variety of things with regard to diversity. Everything. Uh, yeah. Rural, everything. rural versus urban versus yeah. whatever. Right. Just yeah, absolutely. The experiences, how you problem Experience. solve, how absolutely you know, all absolutely. of that stuff, the, the yeah. diversity of thought is so important. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, you know, I think, uh, I think it, it really is important to, to understand 
that that the word qualified or the word best is not a, a, a uh, is not a word that simply means numbers. That it's yeah. about it's about qualification on interpersonal uh, qualities, on intrapersonal qualities. Uh, that the AAMC uh, in particular has really enunciated very clearly what are the things, what are these core competencies that we're looking for that make a good medical student, student and ultimately make a good physician. Yep. And this is what we're looking for uh, with regard to uh, qualification. So that yep. I think that's the key. Yeah, I, I think the way to look at it where a lot of students – think about it is oh, okay so 528 that's obviously the best and you want all of those students <laughs> but again it's it's good enough academically right good enough yeah. that we have determined good enough to get through our medical school to get through right. our curriculum and so right. when you look at 528 is good enough 520 is good enough, 515 is good enough, 510 is good enough, 505 is good enough, 500, yeah, we've kind of seen some issues with a few students around yeah. here, yeah. Uh, 498, yeah, probably not good enough for us, right? So yeah. so yeah. it's like, it's it's right. not a spectrum, it's like a tripwire. As soon as you get mm -hmm. over that tripwire, you're good enough academically, yeah. let me see your story. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree with that. And you know, I have seen... Uh, it's not been unusual in my experience to see students who have a 520 or, or the equivalent of that in the old MCAT number numerical system who were complete morons. They, <laughs> yeah. I mean, just to put it, yeah. you know, they had no, no personal skills. They, they could not, they, they, they had no common sense. And, and or the opposite, where they're just completely arrogant, and they oh, know yeah. they're amazing yeah, and yeah. hot stuff, and oh, yeah. look how smart I am at my five twenty. Yeah, yeah. Right? yeah. Like, absolutely. I, I don't want you either. No, I don't. I, you know, if it, it there's, you know, uh, I, I've encountered too many physicians out there who have that sort of attitude, and that's not the kind of doctor I want. Yeah, and so that's not, you know, that would not be the kind of student I would want in my medical school. Yeah. Cool. Absolutely. All right. Yeah, I, I love those deeper, deeper questions. Yeah, exactly. Oh, all right. What else we got, Rachel? Whoops. Oh, wow. A growing emphasis on burnout from the medical community, at least a lot more than previous years. Do you believe this now, this new awareness will actually result in action toward helping all physicians achieve a work-life balance? Ooh, this is my I favorite. think Ryan should answer <laughs> that one. <laughs> so having gone through the process, right? And it doesn't it doesn't diminish your your thoughts as well, Scott, because you haven't you haven't walked the halls of the hospital. Um, <clears throat> so I, I think there are a few things that that come into play. I think work-life balance is a joke, right? And it's it's weird for me to say that. I I don't think it's a it's it's not a thing. It's work-life balance is just you have work and you have life and you have family and you have other responsibilities and you have to figure out how to live with all of it. And especially as a physician, the problem is that being a physician never ends. Right? My wife is still a practicing physician. Today's Monday as we're recording this. It's her day to watch the kids because we're in the middle of a pandemic and there is no daycare that we'll send our kids to right now. And so on Mondays, she watches the kids while I 
hang out with with you and <laughs> and do live streams and, and other fun stuff. Guess what is also happens on Mondays? Her clinic is calling her, emailing her, bugging her all day long for all of the stuff that happened over the weekend with her patients. Patients need refills. Patients need this. Pa- patients are they they complain a lot and they have lots of stuff going on and they they need they need you to, to survive literally. That never ends. And so work life balance in my mind it's a fantasy. And the ultimate goal is figuring out how to integrate work into your life in my mm-hmm. mind. That is the best situation and I think we have so much burnout because we have this focus on work life balance that nobody is finding and so they think they're broken and now they're burnt out. Yeah. I'm all about meditation and exercise and eating right and sleeping well. Like all of that stuff is good stuff and that will definitely help. But chasing this dream of work life balance I think is part of the problem. And we just need to figure out how to balance the work that we want to do, the income that we want to have, the life and lifestyle that we want to have, and make our life fit with that picture. And I, I think that's what we get to. The other big issue that I think we have, and and hopefully my message over the last seven plus years is is helping with this, is that we have too many people in healthcare who became physicians because they wanted a stable job with a good with good pay and they didn't become physicians to be there for the patients to deal with all the patients needs and issues we had admissions processes 20 30 years ago where we have physicians now out practicing that really focused on the stats and oh you're smart enough to be a doctor go ahead right welcome aboard and so now you're dealing with physicians who have seen healthcare change around them, who have seen reimbursement rates change and decrease dramatically while they're out practicing. And now they're seeing more patients. They have less time. They have less autonomy. And they don't like that. And they're getting burnt out because of that. Mm -hmm. So if you're going into medicine for the right reason, no matter what happens, no matter how pay is, uh, no matter who your boss is, whatever, right? And there are obviously issues out there, but if you're there to take care of patients, if you if that is your ultimate driving force, what happens when you close the door is the same. You are there interacting with a patient one-on-one to be there for them. And and I think we have too many physicians out there practicing who, who don't focus on that, who are focused on the paycheck, who are focused on work-life balance, and so they get burnt out and they don't like medicine anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think, too, uh, just to add to that, Ryan, I think that medical schools do work pretty carefully with students to to try to understand what is, what are my goals in life and what are the fields of medicine that are going to match with that? Yep. You know, if, if I if if I have a goal of having a family and I don't want to be up at 3 a.m. and, you know, going to call or whatever, then there are certain fields of medicine I probably shouldn't consider. Uh, and then if, if, if I want a structure where I go to work at eight o'clock and I get off at five o'clock or whatever, then there are certain fields that you, you know, should probably look at and others that you shouldn't look at. And, and I think that there's a, a you know, a really important uh, part of what medical schools do to, for, for their students to try to give them 
an understanding of what that looks like and where are where are your personal goals and where are your professional goals and let's find the match for you that's going to really help you within that mix of things to 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 meet some of the goals that you have and and uh sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't but i, I do think that there's some effort in that regard to help help uh, students uh, make good choices yeah my my concern I, I don't want to be the, the 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 old curmudgeon who's like, med school's hard. That's just the way it is, and that's the way it should <laughs> always be, right? I, I I'm all for figuring out how to streamline things, how to make things efficient, how to make sure we don't kill students in undergrad and, and medical school, et cetera. But I am also realistic and know that medical school is hard and there's a yep. lot that you have to learn and there's a lot yep. that you're going to have to do and you're going to have to work overnight and you're going to go sleepless for a little while and you're going to have to figure out how to deal with that. And and I think, unfortunately, students, they get to a point where they're like, well, no, I want to be coddled. And, and you're, unfortunately, it's not the field for you if, that, if that's the case. Um, but the, the other thing that, that I'd be remiss if I didn't mention it is – and I, I think as a society, our younger generation is moving toward this already. And that's our our fascination with stuff. Right? I think yep. we, we've had physicians in general, not physicians, but just society in general have yep. this unrealistic fascination with bigger houses, with lake houses and ski houses and 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 fast cars and slow cars and motorcycles and boats and, yep. and all of this stuff. And yep. now all of a sudden you're working to maintain your lifestyle and and you get burnt out and jaded because of that versus, mm -hmm. right, me, I'll be honest, I probably wouldn't be able to do what I did leaving the Air Force five years ago to go full-time into podcasting if I had all my student loan debt, right? The Air Force paid for medical school for me. I had flexibility in what I was able to do. I was the person who was able to dictate what I wanted my life to look like because of the lack of loans. And so for students, if you are not handcuffed by having multiple mortgages and multiple car payments and all of the shiny new stuff, you have a lot more flexibility with what you can make your life look like. So yep. just a, yep. another thing that we we don't talk about finances enough in in our society unfortunately yeah but yeah no I, I think you're exactly right it's this it's this uh, fascination with and obsession with uh things yep and uh, with with the without considering that there's a cost not only the monetary cost but there's a cost in terms of how much you got to work and how much you got to work to keep it, keep it up. You know, the boat needs cleaning and the boat needs fixing and the, you know, whatever, whatever. So, yep. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. How do you talk about your research and research research in general for MD PhD specific essays? How can one tailor our application for these types of programs? So when you were at UT Southwestern, did, did you guys have an MD PhD program? Oh yeah. Ours was uh, a, uh, Medical Sciences Training Program, the NIH-funded uh, program uh, that was quite well regarded, mm. and the the key I think for MD PhD programs is uh, it's one thing to talk about what you did in the lab, you know, as an undergraduate, or what you did on your summer research project or whatever. What the what the what these programs are really looking for 
is did you really have did you have a clear understanding of what you were doing? Yeah. Uh, this is the key. Uh, there's a lot of students who participate in research activities who never, ever get the big picture. They never, you know, they know the mechanical things that they were doing, but they never really got it in terms of what is this effort all about? What are we doing? How does one connect to the other thing? And how, how, what is the big picture of all this? And that's what they're looking for. And so when you talk about your research, particularly when you're applying to MD-PhD programs, you have to go there. You have to really talk about not that I did this, that, and the other thing, but it is what, what did all this mean in terms of the bigger picture of what the effort uh, of the research project was about and how, what did I learn from this with regard to not just uh, the mechanical aspects of research, but what is what was this? Uh, what was my mentor's? Uh, what was the PI's really big thing? And what what was this all about? And so that's you got to go there in those essays, and that's what these MD PhD programs are really looking for, is the students who who really understand what they were, what what it was all about, what they were doing, and and not just I was cleaning puppets and stuff and or, or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so you know that's that's what that's how you talk about it. You know you you go toward uh, under, uh, a cl clear uh, uh, enunciation of what you were doing mechanically is fine, but you got to pretty quickly move into the the bigger picture of, of what what this was all about. Yeah, the same same thing we talk about all the time for personal statements and extracurricular descriptions is yep. so many students focus on the what, not the yep. so what, right? Yep. As, as you yep. like Absolutely. to talk about. Yep. And and really. Uh, a lot of what happens in a lab could probably be automated at some point in the future. So they're not looking for a body to do stuff. They're looking for minds to think through problems. Independent and, research. Yeah. yeah. And, and yeah. they want to make sure. And, and I, we talk about, I talk about this all the time where students, students will say, my research isn't in a medical field. And is that okay? I'm like, what kind of research was it? What kind of critical thinking? What what were the questions right. you were asking? That's they right. want to make sure that you are an inquisitive person that can right. that that will challenge assumptions and 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 ask the right questions, the hard questions. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. So it's, I, I think that's the key. You're right. I'm always right, Scott. Oh. <laughs> No Will nursing provide enough clinical experience provided I can articulate that well? If not, can you provide examples of other things that can be done? Interesting. So my question would be, is this nursing school or being an actual nurse? Let's assume being an actual nurse. Mm -hmm. So is being a nurse good clinical experience is really the question. Wow. I, I mean, I think it is. I think, you know, nurses... Uh, sometimes get it better than the doctors get it. Uh, <laughs> you know, frankly, uh, I think that that nursing, you know, it depends a little bit on the type of nursing that that the that you're doing in terms of if you're on the floor, if you're, you know, in a if you're in a, a, a small clinic or if you're in a you know a single single physician office or you know what kind you know what what sort of things are you doing? But in general, I would say. Absolutely. I mean, you, you, you know, what's going on. Yeah. Uh, you know what the, what the needs of the patients are, what they're looking for. Uh, I, I think often nurses have a, a, a frustration uh, that they don't get more credit than, 
that they don't get more credit, that, that they do deserve a lot more credit in terms of their understanding of the, of the patients. You know, when we talk about patient care, the nurses uh, are, the, are the front line. You know, this the doctor's in there for ten minutes every day when 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 he or she comes by. The nurses are the ones that are caring for these patients, particularly in the hospital. You know, in a, in 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 an inpatient setting, uh, these are the people that really these are the men and women who are who get to know these patients, who know what their stories are, who know know what their what their complaints are, and these are the people that really make a difference. I think. So my my short answer to the question would be absolutely. Yep. Ryan, what do you think? I, I agree a thousand percent. Right. The you have to ask yourself, what is the goal of clinical experience? And I, I think too many students focus on the goal because I see it when they write about it in their personal statement is I understand medicine, right? I know what the doctor does. I I know that blah, blah, blah is key to being a good physician. It, it, in my mind, that's not the goal of clinical experience. The goal of clinical experience to me is do you actually like being around a patient when yeah. they're complaining to you and yeah. they're crying and they're pooping yeah. and they're peeing and they're like, and their, yeah. their family members are yelling at you yep. and, yep. and, and, and all, all the happy stuff, but all the sad stuff. And right, that's the goal. And being a nurse is amazing experience for that. And, and you've proved yourself as a nurse that this is what you want and now you all you're doing is you're saying i love this now i want to have more impact on the patient i want more knowledge so i can do more for the patient yeah. and actually actually be the one treating them yeah uh, so in my mind that's that's key now yeah. a follow-up question that always comes from this is as a nurse do i still need to shadow and i always go to yes right you you yeah. shadowing is is to understand a little bit more of the doctor world outside of the the yeah. small amount of interaction that you have with them. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. <sighs> Yay. All right. Pros and cons of the different curriculums medical school use. Ooh, this is a good one. Mm. So this is something I tell students. It's too many students focus on stats for picking medical schools. I'm like, how about yeah. let's look at curriculum and, and lots yeah. of other things, but curriculum yeah. is a big one. So I talk about it a lot when when I went to medical school, I didn't really understand all of the differences between curriculums and, and when I went to medical school, how uh, 15 years ago now, um, there probably wasn't as much diversity in curriculum, mm -hmm. curricula as there mm -hmm. is now. Um, and so I went to New York Medical College. I went to a school that had a very traditional curriculum. You would study all of the subjects independently from each other. So we started with histology, anatomy, physiology. We went to whatever each right. each of the, the different sections were. So that's that's a very traditional curriculum. I would have done much better knowing what I know now. I would have done much better in what has become a more common type of curriculum is the systems-based curriculum where, okay, we're going to learn the cardiovascular system. And within the cardiovascular system block, we're going to learn the histology, the, the, the anatomy, the physiology, the pathophysiology, the pharmacology, mm -hmm. everything right. related to the cardiovascular system. We're going to learn it all together because guess what? That's how the body works all together. Mm -hmm. uh, and instead of just it all being separate. And, and I think knowing how I like to learn, I would have done much better with that. So, yeah. um, so that's another one. So traditional 
systems-based flipped uh, a flipped classroom is becoming more and more popular it's not really a standalone curriculum but it's just a a a learning style that schools are using where you you do all of your your learning at home right we we don't need the way that we have technology and everything else now and this this pandemic is proving that we we can learn uh sitting at home Mm -hmm. we don't need to sit in a classroom and have someone lecture to us to learn the material but schools are using that the flipped classroom to say learn the material on your own and we're going to spend classroom time not going over powerpoints but actually discussing further in depth and answering questions based on what you've already learned so that we can continue the conversation so that's another another way um problem-based learning is something that university of colorado school of medicine uses a lot of where it's it's six to eight or however many students in uh, a small group, usually using vignettes that the yep. the school creates so that students can figure things out, right? It's usually, as it said, problem-based. So there's a problem. Mm-hmm. Usually it's a clinical vignette of here's this patient presents with X, Y, Z, and then you go through questions. What's the first thing you, you want to think about? What's the next thing you want to think about? Okay, you did a CT scan. Here's what it shows. Now what are you thinking about, right? And it's just going through this whole process. Yep. It's like a, a, a watching like house md or gray's anatomy or something just in the classroom and you're you're working through an episode um any any other kind of structures no i I think you're exactly right i think one of the questions is uh, applicants have to ask of themselves is what what is my learning style what how do i learn best am i independent learner do i learn best by being on my own and really investing in stuff am i a learner that that really does better in groups uh, where I'm together with a group of, of other students and, and learning uh, uh, as opposed to a more traditional style where the professor is up and sort of this is the information and giving you the information that's not as common anymore, but it still happens. And so I think that uh, students really have to investigate on their own kind of what, what how do I really learn best and uh, how am I, where I need to find a school that really seems to match with that. But you, I think you've lined out the, the, uh, the, the real majority of those um, sort of curricular patterns now that, uh, that schools and, and I, I think it's very rare these days for a school, a medical school to have a very traditional sort of uh, uh, process. I mean, it's not, um, as typical anymore that even the schools require attendance in class, you know, they're, they're, they're streaming those classes. They're, they're, they're storing them on servers. So you can just watch them whenever I knew students who would uh, listen to the lectures uh, uh, while they were exercising at, um, you know, uh, double time or time and a half uh, the speed of the lecture. And so that they were re- were really hearing it faster as they were going, and then they could stop it and back up if they kn- knew something that they had missed or that they wanted to to uh, to concentrate on or whatever. So there's a lot of different methods for students to to be able to handle uh, the curriculum in in medical school these days. But I think knowing your own style and then clearly investigating what the curricular um, uh, structures are at the schools that you're looking at or that you've interviewed at. Uh, are, is, is really important, and, and, and just as you said, Ryan, I think that is really the key to uh, to finding a school that best matches you and fits you. Yeah. 
Definitely. All right. Good stuff. I like yep. it. Yeah, absolutely. Do, 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 do. I was looking at some of these. The popcorn of our questions is at that stage where it's like pop. And oh, you got to take it out by. of the microwave or it's going to burn. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so we had our flurry and it's pretty calm right now. Yeah. Um, let's let's talk about uh, I, I saw you answer a question about this Khan Academy stuff. So, yeah, Khan Academy, they didn't tweet. I don't think they specifically tweeted, but students found the Web page where Khan Academy had many products listed that they were getting rid of. And the MCAT material was on that list. And students rightfully so freaked out because it's like, this is a great resource for free and you're taking it away from us. Um, Khan Academy two days ago, as we're recording this on Monday the 15th, two days ago said, we hear you, we're going to extend. The, the initial expiration was like July something. Uh, it was like a month. Um, we said, we hear you. Uh, we are going to extend to the end of September 2020 so that students taking the MCAT this cycle would still have access to the material. They then, a day ago, said, we hear you even more. We're going to extend to September of 2021. So thankfully, they're listening a little bit. Um, I have lots of questions around why they're getting rid of their MCAT stuff. Is this a contractual thing with the AAMC that the AAMC all along was going to pull this information into their paid products? Um, Khan Academy has, has not said that stuff is staying on YouTube indefinitely. Um, the, the AAMC has not said that the stuff will be available for free at all. Um, so still lots of questions out there, but at least it's available through 2021. Yeah. To me, one of the things that was most frustrating is we've had so many challenges around communication with the AAMC this year. And a lot of them have been the AAMC was reacting to a crisis, you know, whether that's COVID or the riots or city curfews and not thinking about, we need to get out in front of it with the students. But this was obviously something that both Khan and the AAMC knew coming. And I feel like it's a real missed opportunity on the AAMC side that they could have been out in front of this one. Um, the flip side is, I think pre-meds as a group reacted really positively. Like they were freaked, but they were so polite and constructive in the way they responded that in the course of 72 hours, you guys, the pre-med community collectively, changed their minds. And that's amazing. Like, I was so proud and happy when I saw that. Um, Khan did say in that content update, and like you said, Ryan, it was totally buried. It was way deep down, like not even in their press releases, just like somewhere on their blog. Um, they said, our mission is now K through 14. And they are getting rid of a lot of test prep. Um, including like their GMAT prep, not LSAT as many have noted, but they also just started LSAT prep a year and a half ago. So I wouldn't be surprised if that's still mid-contract. Um, but the thing that I wanted to make sure everybody noticed, as thrilled as I am that MCAT prep for, from Khan is staying up for another 15 months, is they have said they don't have the dollars to update it. And 
um, even when the MCAT isn't going through big official changes, it usually is going through small, subtle changes. And that's why, you know, companies like Blueprint, formerly Next Step, update their material every single year. Um, so just keep in mind that con, it's so wonderful. I still recommend it because you can't beat free. Um, it may get a little bit out of date now because it's not giving the updates while they hold it free for everyone. Um, so yeah, I think we have more more questions to ask to find out what happens in September 2021. Lots of questions. I, I immediately went to, uh, and this is just where my mind goes. I, I don't know if you saw my tweet, Rachel. I said, somebody tell me like how much information is out there from Khan Academy, right? Kind of regardless or not regardless but kind of ignoring the questions and stuff like that that would take a lot of resources to to build appropriate questions and practice questions etc but the content specifically right how, how does a reduction reaction work etc i said how how much content is out there and what would that look like if i hired right medical school headquarters hired underrepresented and disadvantaged students to make that content. So I'm, I'm helping the community by, by paying them, but then also helping the community by recreating or creating the content for them that can live forever. Um, so I, I'm still trying to figure out that math, <laughs> but I think <laughs> I wondered the same thing that the first thing I thought was, well, a void just open and someone needs to provide all this prep. Yep. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, Stay tuned. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, any other questions come in? Let's see. In the flip classroom, is it mostly learning from textbooks or videos? I, I don't think it depends. It depends on the resources yeah. from the school. Uh, yeah. I, I think technology is so just – like, Scott, 50 years ago, students had to go to Harvard – to hear from the brightest mind in the field of psychology, right? Because that's where she taught. You, you had to go to Harvard to hear Professor Smith talk about psychology because that's just where she where she taught. Right. But now you go on YouTube and you can see all of her lectures. <laughs> it's just Correct. it's there. So the the information, the knowledge, and, and I got so mad at recently at a school actually gave a cease and desist to a student. Uh, a medical school gave a cease and desist to a student who was selling her notes. So she made very pretty notes and put all the information nice in a structured way. And at least one of the professors found out about it and said, no, that's my, that's my knowledge. <laughs> that's my IP. You can't sell that. I'm like, <laughs> like you're not the only person who knows how to how a kidney works come on right <laughs> oh i got so mad and this was a student a disadvantaged student who I, I had right. lots of lots of other issues and she was using this to help pay for a roof overhead and for food yeah. and yeah. but anyway so uh, random side tangent uh yeah. how where you learn the information is kind of irrelevant and it's yeah. it's interesting a lot of students are getting very frustrated with medical schools because they're like, well, I'm, I'm paying all of this money for tuition, but all I do is stay home and and use third party test prep material to study for the boards. <laughs> like that's that's all I do. Um, so m material wise, I, I think at the end of the day, for most students, luckily we're in a we're in a, a time 
right now where however you learn, there's material out there for you, right. for you to learn from. That's right. That's right. And, and I think, uh, you know, if you're the kind of student that learns alone best, then you're right. There's a lot of material out there. There's a lot, a lot of videos. There's a lot of books. You know, everything is available. Uh, if you're the kind of student that learns best in a group setting where you can bounce things off of each other and share ideas and, and everything, then that's also very possible. And, and, and uh, a lot of schools structurally set that up so that you're in groups and that you have small group settings and et cetera. Uh, and, uh, and so, you know, I think that the, the notion of the flipped, flipped classroom is not as much about the resources that you're using to learn the information. It is about where, where and when you're learning the information. It's flipping that. You're not learning it in the classroom. You're learning it at home, and then you're using it in the classroom to, to, uh, to better understand it or whatever. Uh, and so that's why it's, you know, the notion of, of flipping that uh, is important. Yep. Um, one final question here that I, I think is always a, a popular one is the the knowledge uh, or the the kind of the world of podiatry and yes. students uh, oftentimes get letters from podiatrists or letters from nurses or letters from PAs. Uh, they put the shadowing hours of podiatrists and other uh, other kind of non non physician, even though podiatrists technically are physicians, mm -hmm. um, in their application. So if if you're on the admissions committee and you have a letter of recommendation from a podiatrist, what does that look like? You know, my my honest. Uh, uh, feeling about that is it's going to vary depending on the individuals on the committee. And uh, some of them would be, yeah, that's, you know, patient centered. Uh, the podiatrist is working with the patient. Uh, the student is watching or interacting with the patient. So sure, I get it. So yeah, there's going to be others who are going to say, oh no, that's not, that's not uh, the same. It's, you know, totally yeah. different or whatever. So I think it's a, you know, a hit or a miss. I think, uh, my feeling would be uh, that if you want to be really careful and safe uh, and you want a letter from a physician, don't get a podiatrist, get a, yeah. you know, a, a MD or a DO. Uh, if you, uh, but if, if a podiatrist is all you've got, um, then sure, go for it. You know, yeah. it's not, I, I don't think they're going to, it's not going to be a negative necessarily. I, it may not be the kind of positive that you want or hope it can be, depending on, as I said, the, the various people on the admissions committee. You know, for example, if you get an orthopedic surgeon, then, you know, some orthopedic surgeons are like, no, podiatrists are, you know, they're the enemy. And, you know, we had a big debate here in Texas several, a number of years ago, and the, the courts in Texas were trying to decide how far up the leg can a podiatrist go yep. uh, in terms of treating a patient? And the orthopedic surgeons were up in arms, you know, that, you know, you can't go anywhere up the leg. It's, <laughs> you know, uh, so it was a big deal. And so it just depends a little bit on, on the, the, the particular uh, people that are on the admissions committee and, uh, and uh, you know, what their, what their own sort of personal um, 
feeling is about stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. It's it's interesting that the student said that this podiatrist was on a medical school admissions board. I wonder mm -hmm. if they were on a podiatric medical school uh, admissions be. board. So you you have to be careful, right? You have naturopathic yeah. physicians out there who are who go to medical school and on medical school admissions. So yeah. Yeah. I would clarify. Now, yeah. one thing that AMCAS lets you do that TMDSAS and ACOMAS don't let you do is send letters to individual schools. Mm -hmm. And yes. so I love this, this little hack is if this podiatrist was literally on a medical school admissions board, the, the medical school that's your dream school or whatever, you can have the podiatrist write a letter specifically to that school to say, yep. hey, uh, Uni University of Colorado, as as you know, I, I was recently on your admissions board and I'm very aware of the type of students that you want. And Sally here is the perfect fit for the school. She would be amazing there, blah, 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 blah. Right. Yeah, very yeah. specific to the school. And and send and you can in AMCAS you can designate that letter to only go to that one school. Right, that's right. Um, so that's a fun little trick. I, yeah. I even do it for if I, I would only do that for a podiatrist for the one school for a physician who was previously on a board or currently on a board maybe even um, I would have them write two letters one that's school specific and then one that's generic and, yes. and designate to the um, to the school for the school-specific one. It's a fun yeah, little trick exactly. I like to do. Exactly. All that's right. Why, and and uh, the, the, the uh, ability for AMCAS to do that is why they charge so much. Just, <laughs> just saying. Sure. Just saying. Just saying. Sure. sure. <laughs> All right. Another Ask the Dean in the books. Yes. Thank you, Scott. Absolutely, Ryan and Rachel, thank you, Rachel. Thank you for all your work and uh thank you for everyone watching, asking some yeah. great questions. Yeah, keep keep it up, everybody out there, and it's good to get to see you all all, all the time. Yes, yes. All right, and we'll keep you updated. As I had mentioned earlier at the start of Ask the Dean this episode, um we should be getting our hands on mapped this week. Uh, obviously not a final product or a releasable product, but once I can dig in, I'm going to definitely be doing some screen recordings and probably some screen sharing and Facebook live in and just to play around and, and show you guys. So I'm excited for that. Sounds good. Have a wonderful, wonderful night and we'll see you next week here for another Ask the Dean. Peace out. All right, there you have it. Another Ask the Dean in the books. I hope you have a great week. I'll see you next time here on Ask the Dean.